Let me, let me take you, I'm gonna to go to the early days of our Lord's ministry. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm gonna to go to Matthew chapter three. And then we're going to bounce over, we're gonna go north to Matthew four, then we're gonna go north a little bit more to the book of Luke, and then by God's grace, I may not have time to look at all the scriptures, so I'll probably just paraphrase or quote to wrap this up. Let me give you the title. The title of this morning's message is How to Respond to an Open Heaven. How to Recognize Open Doors and How to Receive from Open Windows, which I won't spend a whole lot of time on because Pastor did such a magnificent job talking about the blessing of tithes and offerings that where God said, try me here with says the Lord. It's the only place in the Bible God says, test me, try me. If I'll not open the windows of heaven, you know heaven has windows? If I'll not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you and upon you, which you cannot contain, which means you're gonna have overflow. Plenty to give and share and sow and bless, amen? All right, again, how to respond, how to recognize, and how to receive and open heaven. I've been preaching on open heavens for over 30 years because I think it's a key to understanding how blessings come in the name of the Lord. But let's go to Matthew 3. It says in, cha in chapter 3, verse 1, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jump real quick, and then we're gonna come back to chapter three. Look at chapter four and verse 17, and you guys can follow me on the screen. I should have gave you the scriptures, I'm sorry, a little earlier, but we were having too much fun having fellowship. But it's all good, amen? Look at chapter four, verse 17. Now it's Jesus' turn. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven <laughs> is at hand. Don't, I mean, don't you think Jesus had come up with his own message? It's kind of like divine plagiarism. He's preaching the exact same message as his cousin, as you know, John the Baptist preached. Repent. You know, the word repent, family, has kind of a negative connotation, doesn't it? Repent, feel bad. No, you don't feel bad enough. Feel real bad. Where's the tears? Feel bad. Re no, you're not repenting. Repent actually means, watch now, re means return. Pent means grace or five. Pentagon, even the devil knows that. Pentagram, how about this? Penthouse. Repent really means Turn from the way you're going. Turn and get back to the penthouse. Get back to the top. It's really a beautiful word. Repent. Turn. Get back to where God wants you. Let's get back to the garden where it was really good before the fall. And then both John the Baptist and Jesus threw this in there. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Back in antiquity, back in the day, the Jews in particular, their picture of God was he's a trillion miles away, 
untouchable, unreachable. So you have to go to a priest who goes to another priest to another priest to maybe get God's attention on the Day of Atonement so we can have another year of blessing. He was a faraway God. He wasn't Father. He was God. He was Yahweh, Jehovah, El Shaddai. So here comes the Baptist, and here comes Jesus with a brand new message. Turn. Turn from that thinking. Turn from that direction of living, and let's get back to grace, or let's get to grace, and let's get back to the top, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Put your hand out, brother. Put your hand out. See, I can feel you. You know why? Because you're at hand. I feel you. Because now God is close enough for us to touch. Now let's continue. John the Baptist is baptizing. Back to chapter 3. John the baptizing, he's baptizing in the Jordan, and he has a message. Look at verse 13. Now Jesus, as you know, Jesus is six months younger than his cousin John. Elizabeth and Mary, old Elizabeth, teenage Mary, were related. They lived, they lived a little over 100 miles apart. So nobody has really written anything that's in the Bible about them growing up together, knowing each other, playing together. Now, three times a year, families would have to go to the temple and worship, and perhaps, perhaps they would say hi to each other. Perhaps Jesus and John as kids, maybe they knew each other, but arguably, I would even say obviously, not close. But John the Baptist knew someone was coming and that he was a forerunner. So Jesus comes from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. That's interesting, isn't it? And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me? Now, in the Gospel of St. John, he adds, behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the what? Sin. A lot of people say sins. The Bible doesn't say sins. It's not plural. It's sin. It's like Jesus didn't come to trim your leaves. Jesus came to pull up the root. Jesus didn't come to forgive you of your sins, even though he did. Jesus came to take away the thing that causes sin, the nature. Behold the Lamb of God. So John obviously had some revelation. And when he saw his cousin, as a 30-year-old adult, coming towards him, behold, the Lamb of God. But he's shocked when Jesus says, John, baptize me. Because John's baptism was a baptism of what? Repentance. For sins, egregious sins. I mean, people who would come to John were sinners who knew they were sinners. And some of their sins were horrible. And they felt bad and they, they, wanted, they wanted cleansing. And now Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, baptized me. And John's like, no, 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 I'm not worthy to even take off your Adidas, I mean uh, sandals. 
And Jesus said, John, watch now. Permit this to be so, so that all righteousness might be fulfilled. I want you to underscore the word fulfilled. All righteousness might be fulfilled. So why, why did Jesus think it necessary to be baptized by John, who is baptizing people for the forgiveness of their sins? I'll tell you why. John's daddy was who? Elizabeth's husband was who? A priest. So he was a Levite, which means John was from the tribe of Levi. Now watch. It was the Levites that prepared all the lambs for sacrifice. You bring your lamb to the temple, the Levites would sacrifice the lamb for the forgiveness of sin. And so what Jesus was doing as the Lamb of God was fulfilling all righteousness. He was doing a prophetic precursor to what was going to happen three years down the road when he would be nailed to the cross. Because baptism is symbolic of death, burial, and resurrection of new life. And so the reason Jesus wanted to be baptized, now here's a little, here's a little, postscript to this little message. Jesus didn't have to do this. He wanted to do this. Sometimes God will call us to do things we really don't have to, but we should. You know, there's a, different, there's a difference in being right and being righteous. I had a preacher who was having problems with another preacher, and I know both of them. And man, he's giving me an earful of this so-and-so, this blankety-blank so-and-so, so-and-so. I'm going to sue him, so-and-so. I said, stop. I said, listen to me. Stop, stop. I said, I hear you. I feel your pain. And I agree with you. You have every right. But it's not righteous. There are times we have to discount our rights. I mean, we live, in a, we live in a world where everybody wants rights for everything. Trust me, I'm in California. <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. I'm, I'm having a good day. I'm not going to ruin it. <laughs> and so we have, of course, our Lord being baptized to prepare him. He had to have, or he, he wanted to have, if I may, a Levite prepare him prophetically as the Lamb of God. Now, let's jump down to chapter 4, verse 1. Right after that, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That scripture don't even sound right. I mean, a lot of, a lot of Christians have a problem with this. The Holy Spirit's going to lead me? into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? That's what it says. It's amazing. It's amazing what the Holy Spirit will let you go through. Mark talked about it a little bit yesterday about pain, about the Holy Spirit will allow pain if it gets our attention. Amen? That was good stuff yesterday. I should have been here all day, except for uh, American Airlines. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Amen. 
Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, as you know, the devil always brings into question the validity and the authority of the Word of God. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Now watch, watch. But Jesus answered and said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is written. Why didn't he say it was written? It was. About 1,566 years before this event, during the days of Moses, Mark, you look in Deuteronomy chapter 8, well, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 8, Jesus went back 1,560 some odd years and he plucked three scriptures out of ancient holy writ. So why didn't he say it was written? Could have. Nobody would have argued. But he uses the adverb is. An adverb, some of you remember, an adverb adds to a verb. It emphasizing the following verb or adjective. It puts a spotlight on the word following. Are you following me? And so Jesus takes something that was and brings it into something that is. He was, he is, he is to come. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God told Moses, you want to know my name? I am. Not I used to be. Not I will be, even though I used to be. And even though I will be, but right now, I am. I am. I am right now. That's why I love Hebrews 11 and 1. Now faith is. Hope is future, faith is now. Hope and vision are basically the same thing. Hope is what you see in the future, but faith says, I have that now. Now faith is. I have it right now. I can't see it. I know you can't see it. I can see it. It's in my heart. My eyes of faith see it. And someday, I'm going to show it to you. Because my hope is heading my direction. Because there's a miracle circling right above my head. And someday, it's going to land. Now faith is. Now. Watch now. Now, he says, it is, it is, three times, three times, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Thank the good Lord. Amen. We had dinner last night, and first thing they put down is, I've been trying to keto, but sometimes I eat <laughs> and I cheeto <laughs> on my keto. Mm, give me five, brother. Give me five. <laughs> but they came and they, they put bread at the table. Now, we were there an hour and a half. What if that's all they had? Oh, we, we would have had some bread and butter and good fellowship. I'd have told a bunch of stories and you'd have left. But then came the steak. I like a little steak on the plate while I wait. Some people like pie in the sky. Some preachers preach pie in the sky. I want a little steak on the plate while I wait for the pie in the sky. Asparagus, baked potato, 
Man, man lives not by bread alone. Come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> but by every... What? What kind of word? It's rhema. There's two, as you know, you've been taught by some of the best. As you know, there's two in the, in the Greek. In the English, we have, you know, in the English, English is kind of a dull language, actually. I like Latin languages. They're romantic. French and Greek, they're, 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 they're picturesque. They're poetic. I mean, it's like the amplified language. Like we have one word, love, and we use it for everything. Everything. I love my wife. I love the 49ers. I love garlic fries. When I'm not on the keto. But in the Greek, there's what, four words, right? And there's, there's arrows for sexual love, and of course, agape, God's love, and phileo, and all these. Well, in the Greek, there's two words for word, as you know. You know what fascinates me? The word sword, sword of the spirit, is literally word with an S in front of it. S-W-O-R-D. Sword of the spirit, the word of God. You know, logos, basically, the logo, this is a somewhat of an oversimplification, but logos is basically the whole written word of God. From, it, it's, it's, and logos is also Jesus. In fact, in Revelation, his name is called the Word of God. John said in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word tabernacled among us. That's logos. How many of you can see a logo and you know the brand, the team? Am I right about that? Nike? KU? Right? Apple? Jesus is the logo of heaven. That's why he said, if you've seen me, you've seen all the kingdom. You've seen all of heaven. Jesus is the logo. But the rhema, rhema means, it's, the, it's the, basically the spoken or preached word that has your name on it. It's something that you read it and it jumps off the pages like that. I'm, that's mine. That, that, that's, that's what I need today. And that, Pastor Dick may, may have preached for 35, 40 minutes, but he said one thing I'm taking home, that's your rhema. That's your rhema. And that's why Jesus said, man lives not by bread alone, but by every rhema that comes from the mouth of God. Okay, you following? Okay. Now I'm getting ready to preach. I'm just kidding. We're, we're, it's it's halftime. Let's go to the third quarter. Go over to Luke 4. We're still in the early days of his ministry. Luke chapter 4. And Luke's account of the temptation of the wilderness is the precursor to what we're about to read. In verse 12, it says... Uh, and Jesus answered, it's been said, you should not tempt the Lord your God. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Verse 14, then Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee. And news of him went out through all the surrounding regions. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he comes home, he comes home, he comes to Nazareth. 
where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, Jesus went to church. Every Saturday, Jesus, you could find Jesus in the synagogue, whether he was home or in another town. And on the Sabbath day, Saturday, he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. (laughs) Where it was written. 700 years before, the prophet Isaiah said something. Boy, I love Isaiah 60 and 61. And so Jesus is now quoting something that was written 700 years prior. And he finds the place. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And you can see them old Jewish men, amen, hallelujah, amen, because they loved hearing what God said. Can I stop right there before I continue? You know, people like to argue politics and religion. Am I right about that? You want to mess up a holiday. Do you like Trump or not? Oh, my God, you know. What church do you go to? And all of a sudden, it's on, like Donkey Kong. My guitar player had tattoos all over the place. And of course, I got a few letters from some of the little church ladies. Now, Pastor Dick. Now, we love Brother Ronnie, but I don't think he should be on the platform. Or at least he should cover up because he's got tattoos. And I said, so? Well, Pastor, you know, the Bible said, oh, stop, stop. Stop. Where's that in the Bible? They never know. I said, I'll tell you exactly where it is. I said, "Uh, who's Moses talking to? Us. No, he's not. No, he's not talking to us. He's talking to Jews under the law, not Christians under grace. I said, you got to be careful about cremation. Oh, I don't think people, why? Listen. I, I love reading what God once said to his people Israel, but I really want to know what he's saying to Dick Brunel in the year 2019. I want to know what the Holy Ghost is still saying. Historically, well, even in the New Testament, women shouldn't have short hair. Oh, dear God, girls. Dear God, girls. About half of you in trouble. Do you know why Paul said that? Do you know why Paul said that? Because women caught in adultery or in prostitution, they would shave their head. So to wear on purpose your hair short, like, mm, not good. How many times did Paul say, I speak by suggestion, not commandment? In other words, this isn't a church doctrine. This is just a cultural should do or shouldn't. Paul was extremely wise. Timothy, a Greek, got to get you circumcised. Wait a minute. You just, you just told the Galatians circumcision was over. Yeah, but I got to get you into the synagogue, and you're Greek, so you got to look like a Jew so we can preach Jesus to these people. Paul was brilliant. I mean, he knew how to play, man. He was brilliant. So, 
Watch now. When you're reading and studying the Bible, know who's doing the talking, know who he's talking to, know what he's talking about. Is it Moses talking to the Jews or is it Paul talking to the church? Amen? When Jesus said, it is finished, it was finished. Thank you, Moses. God used you mightily. And the law, Galatians 4, was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ because it was impossible to keep. Amen? I mean, now the moral laws are good. Some of the diet, I don't eat, I don't eat shellfish. Why, because of the law? No, because call 911, I eat shellfish. I swell up like, a, like Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> Take me to the hospital, because I love shellfish. It's horrible, I can't, I can't have oysters on the, with a little Tabasco sauce on the half. I, I can't have clam chowder, just call the ambulance. But it's not because I'm a Jew under the law, because I'm just sick dick, you know, just uh, whatever. Let me get back to the anointing before it totally leaves the room here. <laughs> to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and <laughs> to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, which was the year of Jubilee, as most of you know. He closes the book, verse 20, gives it back to the attendant, sits down. Now all the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were <laughs> fixed on him. And he began to say to them, boom shakalaka laka, boom shakalaka laka. He's about to lower the boom today. Somebody say today. Yes. Say today like something good's gonna happen to you today. Yes. Watch now. Watch how Jesus takes an ancient text that was written. Notice how the Bible says it was written. And watch how Jesus brings it into the is. Come on. And he began to say to them, verse 21, today, this scripture is, notice past tense to present tense, fulfilled in your hearing. And they didn't get it. They had the sin of familiarity. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this, isn't this the boy that Mary, mm-hmm. You know, Nazareth was a small little town with a bunch of gossipy women, and Mary's walking around pregnant, and everybody knows Joseph didn't do it. Maybe that's why Jesus didn't mind being called the son of David. A lot of theologians believe David was not the full brother of the other seven that Jesse had a little something on the side and David was raised by Jesse, but Jesse's wife was not mama. And that's why David said, I was formed in sin. I was conceived in sin. So isn't that interesting that David was called, you know what, the bastard, and so was Jesus. Today this scripture and heaven opened later or actually earlier when Jesus was 
forming his discipleship. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? How do you, you know, who, who is this guy? Is he one of those, is he one of those messiahs, one of those prophets? Do you know that Israel was full of rabbis? Jesus wasn't the only rabbi. There's rabbis everywhere. And do you know how rabbis got disciples? They would find the smartest kids and go to the parents for permission, and they would only say two words to a potential. All rabbis had to have three disciples. If you didn't have three disciples, watch now. And all disciples had to be younger than the rabbi. So how old do you think the disciples were? If Jesus was 30, and John may have been 29, they say David, uh, I mean uh, Peter, but they say John was maybe 17, a teenager, a kid. So all the 12 disciples were under 30 years of age. Now this is how a rabbi would, would pick a disciple. He would simply say two words, follow me. They all did the same thing, follow me. So now maybe you understand why they dropped their nets. They knew who Jesus was. They probably heard him preach. They knew he was special. He was like the rock star. He was the rabbi of rabbis. Everybody was talking about Jesus, but he didn't have any disciples. So Jesus is walking on the seashore. He, he looks at the fishermen, follow me. They knew exactly what that meant. It was the greatest honor to be called a disciple of a rabbi. I mean, everybody in your family was like, it's like you just graduated from Harvard or something. It was like the greatest, the greatest honor for a family, for your son to be called a disciple of a well-known, respected rabbi. And so when Jesus said, follow me, to the four fishermen, they dropped their nets like, yeah, we're, it's on. Sorry, honey, we'll be back in three years. We're busy. Today, say today. Yeah. This scripture, it's not a logos anymore. It's a rhema. So if I may, before I start my first close, if I may, why not today? A scripture you've been standing on a scripture you've been praying over, something you've been believing for. Why not today be your today? Why not? It could be. You say, well, pastor, that, you know, I know maybe you're trying to hype and get us to say amen and all that. All right, what if it doesn't happen till tomorrow? Let me ask you a question. When tomorrow comes, what's it called? Mm-hmm. A month from today, when we're there, it's gonna to be today. Your today is coming. Some of you it might be. September the 22nd, 2019. This year I had four things happen. I've been believing God for, for decades. I had four todays happen this year. Where righteousness was fulfilled. Where prayer was answered. All right, real quick now, real quick. Four things to help you respond to an open heaven, recognize an open door. And I won't spend much time, if any, on how to receive from windows, because pastor already told us, bring your tithes and offerings, and windows will open. Jesus said, I got more notes than time. That's all right. That's typical. Jesus said to Nathaniel, John chapter 1, verse 49 through 51. He said, you're impressed because I saw you under a fig tree. Remember that? He goes from, can anything good come out of Nazareth to you're the son of God? I mean, you talk about 
a quick conversion. And Jesus said, so you're impressed? You're impressed because I saw you under a fig tree? Word of knowledge. He goes, stick close to me for hereafter. You shall, you shall see heaven open. And you'll see angels ascend and descend. A reference back to what, Genesis 28? Jacob's Ladder, where you got the name Bethel? Was called what? Luz. The place was called Luz, or Luz, L-U-Z, which means place of the almond tree. And Jeremiah, God said to Jeremiah, what do you see? He said, I see, I see an almond tree that's about to bud. See, the, the, the almond tree is called the announcing tree in California because the almond tree is the first tree to flower before all the other cherries and apricots. So the almond tree was called the announcing tree by the Jews and the Middle and the Arabs because the almond tree would announce winter's about over, spring's coming. There's a change. So God said to Jeremiah, chapter 1, what do you see? He said, I see an almond branch. God says, because you see well, I can now perform my word. So I have an announcement for this church. I hear a sound. I hear a sound of abundance. I hear a sound of growth. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Pastor. I hear a sound of unbelievable. I hear the sound of camels. You mean, what's that? Look at Isaiah 60. He said, when darkness covers the earth. You think darkness is starting to cover America? I'm not talking just politically. I'm talking about violence. I'm talking about families killing, killing their own. I'm talking about schools being. I'm, I'm talking about un, unbelievable violence in America. But be encouraged because Isaiah said, when darkness covers the earth, the church, it's time for the church to rise and shine. It's time for the church to listen, listen, listen. There's, there's time coming for the church to stand up and the devil to shut up. The time is coming, and then he says, your sons and daughters, kings and queens will come from afar. He said, your sons, your lost sons and daughters, your relatives will come run into the house of God. And then he says, and camels, you'll hear the, the footbeat of camels loaded down with gold and silver and, and precious things. I hear the sound of camels coming. I hear the sound of blessing coming to this house. He said, Nathaniel, you'll see heaven open. Now watch. Four things. Four things to help us get ready to recognize and respond to open doors, open heavens. John said, I was in the spirit, John chapter 1, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, which means Sunday morning he's in prayer and meditation, and all of a sudden Jesus appears to him. Then he writes the letters to the seven churches. Then, then Revelation chapter 4, Jesus is, John says, I, I see the Lord standing by an open door. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus says, John, come up here because I must show you things to come. In other words, revelation, excuse me, elevation brings revelation. The higher you go with God, the farther you see and the clearer you see. Revelation through elevation. That's why Jesus said, watch now. See, everybody's wanting Jesus to come down here. He already did that. He did that. Jesus came down, spent three and a half years. Now he wants us to come up here. Jesus wants us to come higher so we can see farther and we can see clear. 
open door. So number one, number one, this sounds a bit pedestrian, but the, the quickest way to be cognizant and aware of an open heaven is prayer, meditation, praying in tongues. John chapter 3, verse 21, it says, Jesus was in prayer and heaven opened. Jesus was in prayer, heaven opened. There you go. John's, John, I'm in the spirit, heaven opened. I see a door, I see an open heaven. Number two, I was thinking about that, Stephanie, when you were singing that last song. Praise and worship, corporate and private. During, during times of praise and worship, it's like we, our mind's not on Monday morning, our mind's not on problems, our mind is on Him. Am I right about that? I mean, that last song. Wow. I could feel, I could feel heaven opening over this church. Watch now. Acts chapter 16, around verse 23. Paul and Silas are thrown in prison. I've been there. I've been to that prison. I've been to Israel 12, 15 times. I've even been to the cave where they're in his life. I couldn't stand up. And there's a great big crack in the cave, and our Jewish guide, who's not Christian, says, yeah, there was a huge earthquake here sometime. And we're looking at each other like, hello, it's at Acts 16. <laughs> How these Jews don't get it. Anyway. Anyway. You know, it's kind of interesting. Paul was happy going up towards Asia Minor, but he was forbade by the Holy Ghost to preach. Can you imagine? Paul's the right man, the right time, with the right message in the wrong place. Right man, right message, wrong place. And the Holy Ghost forbade him to speak. Can you imagine the Holy Ghost? Can you imagine Paul not wanting to preach? And for some reason, the Holy Ghost zipped his lip until he had a vision of a man in Macedonia, Philippi. Paul, come and help us. He had to turn around and walk. I don't know how many, I forgot how many miles. And he gets there and he gets thrown in prison. First, he gets beat half to death. You're in prison. It's, I couldn't stand up. You're in this cave. You're shackled. Flies and bugs are, are, you know, flies are putting maggots in your open wounds. I do a little teaching in spiritual warfare. Why, why Beelzebub is called Beelzebub. You, you want to understand how demons traffic? Study flies. Lord of the flies, Beelzebub, study flies. It's exactly how demons traffic. They're attracted to corruption and trash and woundedness and things we don't let God heal. See, we give the devil too much credit. He only, the devil can only take advantage of what we give him. And if we don't heal our wounds, the devil plants his eggs and now you got maggots. I'll come back and do a warfare series sometime on all that. It's pretty interesting. Paul and Silas are in, they're beat half to death. Now if I was Paul, I'd be thinking, thanks a lot, God. I'm I was happy and you brought me, you brought me, you brought me back here for pain. I was having a little bit of pleasure going that way. You brought me back this way, if you were here yesterday. And now I'm half dead. But him and Silas at midnight, <laughs> they start having a worship service. Read it, Acts 16, 23, 24. They start singing songs, spiritual songs and hymns to God at midnight, and it says all the prisoners heard them. And all of a sudden, there's a giant earthquake. Now watch. 
and all the doors are opened. You want to open some doors? Start singing at midnight. Start singing in your pain. Start singing at the worst, worst moment of your life. Lift up thy hands that hang down. Dang it. Be the, he's, the, he's the lifter of my, he's the, he's the lifter of my head, even though I don't want to lift my head. I don't want to lift my hands. I'm going to do it, bless God, by faith. And it might be midnight, but it's going to be all right. Because I'm going to sing, I'm going to praise my way through this mess. In Jesus' name, all the doors are open. Now watch, 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 watch. They're the only two innocent people in prison. Why didn't the angel just, like he did Peter, why didn't the angel just open Paul and Silas' door? Because God loves everybody, saint and sinner alike. All the doors of all the prisoners were open and the jailer got saved. And it was on. It was on. Number three. Prophecy. Paul told Timothy, remember the prophecies over you. Timothy was the original Joel Osteen. He was a young man, they say, up to 50,000 followers. I mean, Paul turned over his ministry to Timothy. But he was, remember, he was Greek. Had to get circumcised so he can get in the synagogues. He had two, he had a mother, a great mother, Lois, and what was it, the mother and grandmother, beautiful women. But he was, he said, drink a little wine, Drink a little wine for your stomach's sake because he had a nervous stomach. Not condoning, not condemning. Drink a little wine. Calm down, boy. That was, that was before Valium and all that other stuff they have now. <laughs> <laughs> Massages and all that. You know, calm down, calm down. And this, then he said, remember, remember the prophet. When, when you get in doubt, remember the prophecies over you because that will keep heaven open above you. And then number four, of course, tithes and offerings open heaven. You know, I'm done, but I'm not finished, but I'm done. I've heard this in my old Baptist church. Don't ever give to get. That is unbridled false humility. Number one, that goes totally against Scripture. The scriptures tell you over and over and over again, when you give, expect to get. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over into your treasury shall man give. Paul even said, with the same measure you give, it'll, it'll come back to you. Malachi 3 just said, bring tithes and offerings. And God said, I'll open the windows of the treasury of heaven and I'll not only give you money back, I'll give you things money can't buy. Stand up, everybody. Stand up with me. God wants you to live under an open heaven. Watch. Deuteronomy 28 is the chapter, God, God talking to the Jews, but remember, when Jesus said it is finished, he wasn't talking about the covenant of Abraham. Read Galatians 3. Abraham's blessing, blessings are ours. Abraham was wealthy. He was powerful. He was faithful. He made a ton of mistakes, gave his wife away twice because he was afraid. 
He wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect. Neither was David. Neither was any of them. Peter, they all made egregious mistakes. But now they're in stained glass windows in all these churches. Amen? Gives me hope anyway. <laughs> Listen, on my best day, I'm so flawed. <laughs> like God, how do you put up with me? Don't ever play golf with me. I got a mouth on me, my God. The Holy Ghost waits for me. He, le he leaves me at hole number one and waits for me at the restaurant because he, he, he will not put up with my mouth. I got a temper. All that turn, you know, there's things in the Bible I really don't like. I really do. I really, I don't think I'll ever like them. I believe them. Well, I don't like them. Like turn the other cheek. Are you kidding me? I ran with the hell's angels. I was an iron worker. You hit me. I'll pick up a baseball bat and knock you out. <laughs> Turn the other cheek. When you fast, I don't like fasting. So my excuse is I just don't do things very fast. Now there's things that, you know, love your wife as Christ loved the church. I said, you try to live with this woman. Are you kidding me? I, actually, I said that at my church one time. She got in her car and peeled out of the church. She wouldn't talk to me for two days. I said, honey, it was a joke. She goes, did you notice only the guys left? But I believe every word in the Bible that has my name on it and yours. Again, let me say this. I love the Old Testament. I, I really love reading and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and I understand, I understand the law was perfect because it was the perfect time for the law. But he wasn't talking to the church. I mean, that's why Paul, that's why Paul was so against the Judaizers for trying to bring all that mess into the age of grace and love and faith and all that. I want to thank you for being here today.